0: You are listening to the Art of Living Well podcast with Father Ian Van Houston.
1: I would like to start, um, Father Ian, with a prayer. If you could start us with that,
0: In the name then Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, Amen. Oh, Heavenly Father, we ask you to illuminate us with your wisdom, that as we enter into this conversation, that it may be edifying for those who will watch or listen, that it may be filled with the Holy Spirit, and that all things we may surrender to your will. We ask that you give us your grace and that you lead our conversation as we gather this afternoon. We ask all this in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Amen.
1: Amen. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of Faith Works on Catholic 540 AM Divine Mercy Radio. Our show highlights individuals through God's grace that put their faith into action every day. Amazing people who have an interesting and sometimes overlooked impact on our Catholic faith. On Faith Works, we share their stories. I'm your host, Ellen White. Today, I have the pleasure of speaking to Father Ian Van Huizen, a priest in the Diocese of Raleigh, and um, Bob Luddy, a Catholic businessman. I'd like to give um, an introduction for those that might not be aware. Um, Bob Luddy is a Catholic businessman and educational entrepreneur. Bob is the CEO of Captive Air Systems, the largest privately held manufacturer of commercial kitchen ventilation systems in the US and an emerging manufacturer of HVAC equipment. Bob is also the founder and chairman of Franklin Academy, St. Thomas More Academy, and Thales Academy here in the Raleigh area. Father Ian Van Heusen. Is parochial vicar at St. Peter's Catholic Church in Greenville and chaplain at ECU Newman. Um, Father also has a nonprofit, The Art of Living Well, a fantastic resource for spiritual growth, and can be found at ianvanhusen.com. Prior to being ordained a priest, you were an English teacher, is that correct? Um, How long were you in English?
0: Uh, Two years.
1: Two years. Okay. So your background with um, English and your love of philosophy Mm -hmm. and education. This is going to be an exciting discussion. So um, last year sometime, I was sitting with a dear friend of mine in the backyard on a day much like today, sunny, and the wind was blowing and it was beautiful. And she said, oh, this is just like God's beauty and goodness. And I said, what are you talking about? Mm -hmm. She said, you know, the transcendentals. Mm -hmm. And I said, no, I don't know. (laughs) What does that mean? And much like the seeds that are planted in our own minds um, with things that are good and true and beautiful from God, it blossomed from there. And I knew that there was something to that. It was totally foreign to me, this public educated um, kid, Mm And um, I thought I want to dive deeper. So fast forward to today, I have the privilege of speaking to the two of you about what God's truth, beauty, and goodness is philosophically um, in an abstract idea. And then bring it back in to um, a more concrete, um, tangible thing that we can um, make up a focus or a point of doing in our own life and what that would look like. Sense. What are your thoughts? I
0: don't know on that makes perfect sense. And I, I was just kind of thinking as you were talking, is um, when did, because I was curious your take on this, but also I didn't learn about the transcendentals until I went to seminary. Just this whole idea of the transcendentals, because it was with, we studied philosophy for two years, it was mostly Thomistic philosophy, but you studied Plato, Aristotle. Were you exposed to that when you were younger, or were I you? I was not. Yeah, so you probably <laughs> had a similar education, like yes. based on John Dewey type stuff. You know, give you skills and get you ready for a job.
1: Well, then it so... makes me feel better. So <laughs> I'm not alone in this. This is fantastic.
0: Yeah. Well, when did you first encounter him? Like, what? Like, do you remember? Was there a book or something where you introduced the idea of, like transcendental goodness, truth, and beauty, or something?
2: I can't say exactly. Uh, my mother went to a um, school in New York and. The focus was on beauty. So that was a kind of an integral part of our life is seeking beauty. And my college professor always talked about ordering the disordered order in the world. And initially I didn't think a lot about it, but over a period of years, I began to think more about it and said, this is exactly what I want is order, lack of chaos and beauty. And that's a theme that we use in our schools.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. And that's a trending topic with Jordan Peterson right now. The the 12 Rules to Live By, the book, one of the popular bestsellers, was this balance between disorder and order and things like that. What class was that? Was that like, uh, was that, I'm kind of curious, what was It was a
2: literature class, and and it was given by the gentleman who was in charge of the department. So when I went to college at that time, you could have the dean walk in, and he was your teacher. Uh, So he was obviously very well-respected, very erudite, and he brought that topic up every day he would say, gentlemen, it's our job to order the disordered. It was all male college. Yeah. <laughs> yes.
1: okay. Now, how does that relate to ordering the disordered, God's truth, beauty, and goodness?
0: Yeah, I, I think so. You know, the, the, This is kind of the classical mind, right? The classical mind is that when we live by higher things, we become more noble. Wow. Th- this transcends Christianity. This is Greco-Roman. This is the, the, the great philosophical systems of the world, um, but that if we don't, if we're not in touch with that which transcends the physical, we become like animals, right? Mm-hmm. And this is the classic idea. What is virtue? It's taming the animal self, t- taming the lower self for the sake of the higher self. Now, that's that's now the, the difference a little bit with Christianity is there's the element of grace and that how do we do this It's by God's activity within us and the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. But I think you know, kind of tying it back, it's, um, yeah, it, 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 it's a quest towards something that's beyond ourselves, like goodness, truth, and beauty. And you were introduced to the idea of it, mm-hmm. but there was a kind of stretching of your mind that was kind of exciting, right? Absolutely. I and mean, it wasn't exciting, like the discovery yeah. of this? Like, it
1: was. And it, it, I'm orderly by nature, mm-hmm. so um, I thought, wow, in the confusing times that we're in, and all this disorder, it brought me hope to think that there was something that was so clear that I could aspire to. So what I'd like to do for this interview is, um, Father Ian, you presented scripture verses that have to do with the true, the good, and the beautiful. So let's focus on that. And I have a series of questions that I would like to ask you, Bob, about how you, we're able to implement um, these transcendentals um, in your successful business operation and how it's so much a part of you naturally Mm -hmm. and um, how you've been able to lead so beautifully. Does that, would that be okay? Yes. Okay, and um, well, this is conversation, so I'm so excited about this and I'm learning um, about this. One of the things that
2: happens in our office all the time, somebody will come in who'd never been in our office and they, they'll notice that it's beautiful. It's orderly, it's quiet. And they'll make the comment without knowing much about what's going on there, that this must be a nice and productive place to work. So immediately they sense this is a nice place to be. So that's something that we've worked on over a period of time. Uh, and there's a, a theory anyhow, that says you, you control the environment and the environment helps control the people. So if you're in a nice environment, if we're in church, we don't act like we're in a bar yeah. at 2 in the morning. Uh, so creating these good environments is step one toward leveraging these transcendentals uh, for their proper use.
1: Quiet equals uh, peace-filled to me. So, And before we jump ahead, I'm curious, how how do you implement that in the office? What are some of the things that you do in your office, Bob, that don't happen at other offices that are not so orderly and not so peaceful.
2: Well, we don't t- we don't tolerate any yelling, screaming, back slapping, yeah. um, any, any bad behavior. It, it was never good anyhow, but it's especially bad in the modern environment. Mm-hmm. And so we've just developed this culture and people who come into the culture, they just act like the rest of the people in the culture because mm-hmm. they can quickly observe this is how it's done. Mm-hmm. So they can have a little side conference in the hallway, but it's quiet, it's orderly, mm-hmm and it makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, but maintaining that culture is important, mm-hmm. and one rogue person could upset that culture, but we wouldn't tolerate it.
1: Mm, I, you know, I've been in your office, so mm-hmm. I know, just once, I know that that's exactly what it's like. When I walk in, it's quiet, it's peace-filled. People are smiling as they're walking through the hallways. I, I'm sure it doesn't have anything to do with the fact that I'm sitting with the president of the company, but, <laughs> 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 but no, it is, yeah. it's, it's very nice. Well, and
0: when you think about it, that's, that's part of the ideal of the monastery, right? is the the garden the place of refuge mm-hmm. and, and actually i think even you mentioned having a conversation in the hallway where you would use where you wouldn't speak at full volume you wouldn't be disruptive to the people around you that's a, a big part of the monastic culture as well and it's really that that sense of where it's a place where you can think and be at peace and the contemplative life which is tied in with the transcendentals because mm-hmm. the, the transcendentals Part of it, you know, Aquinas deals with this and the contemplative life, and he's citing Dionysius the er- er- Areopagite. Me and my sister have a debate on how to pronounce that. But, um, but where we, um, the movement of the spiritual life, he, he talks about this with the mission of the Trinity, from visible to invisible realities. Mm-hmm. And part of that is when you order your the life where there's, there's peace and there's stillness, it gives the opportunity to reflect on what you're doing at work, but also the deeper questions of life, when your, your, your home life is ordered, when the church is ordered. Now, every, every family is a little bit different. I mean, I know when families have little children, there can be a little bit more chaos, but I think trying to go against that disorder and trying to bring that order into your life.
2: And think about that, conversely, if you go to a restaurant and people next to you are loud and obnoxious, it just undermines your whole experience and it, it can be almost painful to be in that environment.
1: Mm -hmm. I experienced that recently, and it totally ruined our dinner because there was a couple behind us that were obviously having um, some difficulties, and yeah, it was very distracting. (coughs) Excuse me. Well, let's bring it back. And after this experience with my friend, I had a whole series of internal questions that I was asking myself. Okay, so what exactly are the transcendentals, and how do they relate to the view of the world around me? I heard they were connected with St. Thomas Aquinas. How exactly are they related?
0: Well, actually, really, it's actually the transcendentals are really a principle of of all philosophical systems in one way or another. Okay. And it, normally it's, so the Greco-Roman has this. I would argue that you can find it in the Old Testament and the New Testament, okay. in the ideas of, so St. So Paul makes the distinction where he talks about the flesh, um, I think he would say maybe the mind. I'm, I'm kind of talking, this is not a scholarly research paper. <laughs> I'm talking off the cuff. Where he talks about the body, the senses, then there's the mind, the human, and then there's the spirit. And this is kind of a, a hierarchy of moving from visible to invisible realities. So that's St. Paul. You have a similar concept in the Old Testament. So that's like the biblical notion. Then the Greco-Roman, the, the, the Plato and Aristotle, they had a similar distinction between the body, the mind, and a kind of deeper reality. Um, and, and, and for them, it, it's necessary to have the metaphysical reality of God because there's a oneness to, to things and that's beyond the things. Um, and so that's where the, the, the transcendentals is this idea that goodness to truth and beauty, there's the form of it in the universal, in, in the mind of God, then there's the reality of goodness, truth, and beauty in things in the world mm-hmm. that participate in that higher, if that makes sense. Yes, it does. Yeah. Does. Yeah. I, I just like synthesize like two years of <laughs> wow. but, but I think the classical understanding is, is it's, it's actually, Aristotle gets into this with his metaphysics, that the, 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 the transcendentals, the metaphysical reality of things is ultimately a quest for wisdom. It's not just to gain information and ideas, Mm -hmm. but it's a quest. It's a drawing out of yourself. It's a, and I think you've even found this. I mean, I think when you, I think this is where all, all business people I know that are, that are fairly balanced, they have these practices of thinking about the big picture. I think we even talked about it once, like a big percentage of your life is actually spent thinking about things in some kind of almost a form of solitude, right? Where you're thinking about things by yourself, you're planning things. I mean,
2: yeah, I'm doing a presentation on that this afternoon for um, our whole company. So that, that's a constant quest. And I have, you know, many people were doing the same thing, helping me toward that goal, because obviously it's complicated. Um,
0: so, but in your personal life and your habits, you spend a good percentage of your time just thinking, right?
2: I do. That's why I like being out here in, the, uh, in God's country, you know, with the nature and the trees and, and quiet. Because if it's not quiet, you really can't think even with low level noise, low ambient, it's much harder to think. So back to your point of the monastic life, I think it's really important.
1: So do you find that if you haven't had it for a while because you've been preoccupied, or how does that work for you? What does it look like, Bob? Are you intentional every day with setting aside a certain amount of your time? When and where I can. Okay.
2: Because when you get into the chaotic life, you become more anxious and it becomes more difficult to make good decisions. Because you're being pushed by all these stresses.
1: I notice that you don't have a smartphone in your hand, and you're not scrolling up and down with it right now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, that's a real disease, isn't it? <laughs> it is a disease. <laughs> okay, um, well, back to the questions that I had, too, and then we'll move into the scriptures and how, as they relate to each um, truth, beauty, and goodness. And I know that there are, it goes beyond those three, but um, so I've also heard that where you have, well, let me back up. Does it mean that where you have God's beauty, you'll also have God's goodness and truth and vice versa? And why is the word ontological often used in conjunction with God's truth, beauty, and goodness? I
0: think ontological is just being-ology. Okay. So, so okay. like logical being, it's an okay. like, onto, I think, is being. Okay. So, Greek, so sometimes the Greek concepts, it's just like, the, the study of being or, okay. the, or being. Think of it like actually a good way to think about this is kind of me thinking off the fly. Think of it like a pyramid. Mm-hmm. So at the bottom is what we experience in this world, which is for the most part, multiplicity. Mm-hmm. So there, there's many things. Mm-hmm. There's each one of us has our own consciousness We're somewhat distinct. And then as you climb up, there's greater and greater unity. And then at the point of God, he's there, there's a concept that St. Thomas Aquinas deals with It's called the divine simplicity. Mm-hmm. That is, in God there is no parts or distinction. Uh, there, there, there's, uh, maybe not distinctions, I have to be careful, but there's no parts to God. Mm-hmm. There's an utter simplicity to God, a oneness to God. Mm-hmm. And so in God, there's no separation between His justice and His mercy, between His goodness, His truth, and His beauty. All, all things have their their archetype and their and the, the simplicity of God and yeah yeah. That's good. yeah so and you can even think of it as even in, in the contemplative life it's like a ladder that you climb um, that when your spirit stretches towards the infinite you come to participate in that unity if you will that's the contemplative life and and I think you can even think of this like practically on a business level there's um you could think of it as like a hierarchy within your business there's like decisions like your secretary says, Do you want flowers on the table for the, the luncheon, or do you, want, do you want red flowers, or do you want purple flowers? So it's like a strange level of detail that's very immediate and concrete, but a decision has to be made. Then there's like the personnel decisions, and there's like the big picture things that kind of are and there, there's layers of abstraction. That you go up because Jordan Peterson talks about this a lot. CEOs and folks like yourself, you have to deal with like l- high levels of abstraction in terms of the business, understanding the big picture, if you will. Does that make sense?
2: Yeah, but the leader also has to understand the details, like you were saying. It's yeah. por- it's important to have the right flowers in the right setting. Mm-hmm. So you have to be able to scan the whole range. Mm-hmm. And the, the leaders who don't know the details really don't know what they're doing. They're just sitting up on, you know, they're surf- surfacing. Which is
0: often the critique of the contemplatives sometimes. The, the, the famous poet made fun of Plato for being lost in the clouds and then tripping into a ditch. I believe that's in one of
1: That's wonderful. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I,
2: I was just at a, a, a Liberty Fund meeting with these intellectuals and they're talking about these abstractions. But in my world, we have to understand the abstract and then do something with it and make it work in the real world. Uh, so maybe there's, I won't even say there's pragmatism, but there's, there's a um, methodology of doing that. And usually the people at the high theory level can't necessarily do that because they're good at the high theory. The practitioners, just like you as a priest, have to figure out how to make that work in the world.
0: Absolutely. And for me as a pastor, it was funny, I was just talking with somebody, and I was talking about concupiscence and reflecting on it. And um, And I applied it to like buildings as If you're a pastor like I have Newman center, you're constantly thinking about buildings like upkeep and the grass isn't cut or whatever, but it's like, it's a constant battle to fight with that. But I was just kind of connect that. But, but yeah, you're right. It's interesting that the theory versus the concrete, but it is, it's, it's a hierarchy and you need, and in a certain sense, I'm sure you probably know this, you need the, the theoretical and you need the practical. And oftentimes the good leaders are the ones who are able to move between those two worlds.
2: That's a rare person who can move in both those worlds. Yeah.
1: I think you've done that successfully. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, let's, let's go to the, the scriptures um, that will really warrant some good um, contemplation beyond this um, discussion for those listening and and for us. And I think um, I'm I'm excited about this discussion as we move (laughs) forward too. So we have um, Lady Wisdom for the beautiful, um, Matthew for the good, Matthew chapters five and six for the good, and then Revelation for truth. And um, let, let's start with Lady Wisdom. What exactly are you referring to there? Yeah,
0: so I think it's Proverbs 9. Can you read a little bit or I can read it? No, yeah, sure, sure, sure. Just read it.
1: Okay, so... Um, the Two Banquets. Yeah. Wisdom has built her house. She has set up her seven columns. She has dressed her meat, mixed her wine. Yes, she has spread her table. She has sent out her maidens, she calls, from the heights out over the city. Let whoever is simple turn in here. To him who lacks understanding, I say, come, eat of my food and drink of the wine I have mixed. Forsake foolishness that you may live, advance in the way of understanding. For by me your days will be multiplied and the years of your life increased. Yeah, absolutely. Continue? Yeah, no, I think it's good. I think it's good.
0: <laughs> well, you know, I was, I was kind of what the, my thinking was, was, um, you know, it's kind of even funny that, that this, this archetype, this pattern is so primary and it's being called into question these days in weird ways, is the classical pattern of seeking after the woman, basically, that the, the man is making the quest, right? This is the dragon story. And Chesterton has that great quote, children don't have to be taught that dragons exist, they have to be taught that dragons can be defeated, right? Mm-hmm. So, and so the man, and the archetype of the dragon is, in the man's life is overcoming your selfishness, overcoming your ego, to give of yourself, and, and there's the woman, but then there's also the pursuit of excellence. And I think that's what Lady's Wisdom gets at, is this quest for the pursuit of excellence. Um, but it's actually interesting, I mean, some people might say, well, this is sexist, right? But what I found is women who are really successful with dating because I see it with young women, they tend to like test their boyfriends a lot. Like they kind of put, they kind of put the, like the guy has to earn the woman, earn the woman's heart, if you will. Mm -hmm. Um, but I was thinking about this, there's the relational side, but I think there's also the pursuit of excellence. And And I imagine at some point when you were younger, you, you either conscious or unconscious, had to have a choice to pursue lady wisdom, pursue excellence. So I was just curious, like, do you remember, was there ever a key moment when you were like, I'm gonna pursue all this or was it just always hard work or do you, yeah?
2: In 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 my life, I never really aspired to be an academic. So going to school wasn't the favorite thing I did, but meeting individuals and learning from them, I excelled at. So even from a very young age, if I I would talk to older men and learn from them, and it it became a habit which allowed me to have many, many mentors over the years. And I was anxious to learn from them because I wanted to excel. Uh, I wanted to be successful, and I knew that I had to develop these skills. Even when I started the company, I was very consciously said, you don't have the skills to run this company, and you better develop them quickly if you want to be successful. So I think having the curiosity and the willingness to continuously learn is imperative. And most people either don't do that or at some point in time they stop doing it.
0: You know what's fascinating? I just thought about this. When you mentioned, I just tie I, in my mind, I, I tie this in with Jesus in the temple. He's the 12 year old, right? And he's asking the elders and learning from the elders. I mean, he's God, he's perfect, he has perfect knowledge. But there's something about that. Like the perfect 12 year old sits, sits at the feet of elders and says, and asks questions and asks good questions. Um, so when you were younger, you, you just, you saw people who had more wisdom than you and you were like, I'm going to learn from them. I'm just going to learn from the different people.
2: Yeah. I seem to have a natural affinity for that. So a doctor neighbor had Wall Street journals and he used to put them in a stack. So we went over to his house and I said, well, could I read one of those papers? And he said, sure. You can have all my old papers. So when I'm done, you can have it. So I started reading the Wall Street Journal just by asking (laughs)
1: So you you pursued these opportunities. You had um, a maturity and understanding that these individuals that were placed in your life that were older than you could offer you something and, and help you with um, knowledge and business. Did you utilize, how did that transfer to um, building your business when you became an adult? Well,
2: for example, I worked at a pharmacy all the way through high school and essentially I was learning all the aspects of small business. Inventory, deliveries, money, customers that are upset, uh, point of sale. And the, the owner acted like another dad, you know? And he was more than willing to teach me. Um, so I, I continued to have those experiences. Even right before I went into the service, I worked a job for about three months. And I tried to attach myself to the CEO, which wasn't that easy to do, but he liked me a little bit. And I I would even, if I saw him walking out of the building, I would walk him to his car, even though it was cold outside to ask him questions. And very often we'd end up standing 15 minutes in front of his car, freezing. He was more than willing to do it. So, but you have to ask the question, you have to have the curiosity and you have to be in pursuit of truth and knowledge.
1: How does that, I I wonder how that would relate to this day and age when the kids are so busy Mm -hmm. and so tied up with their individual things that they're doing sports, whatever, um, you know, playing with their phones, uh, interaction with other, are they, I don't know, are you finding yeah. that they're taking the time to do what Bob did when he was younger? Uh,
0: I mean, I think it, it, I think there's a little bit, it depends on the, the students or the individuals, but riffing on that, like the teachable thing, yeah. you know, what's interesting, I, I, had a, I, I've, I've worked, uh, at UPenn, uh, Ivy league school. As a, and I helped with campus ministry there. I was a seminarian, and then one of my uh, professors uh, and uh, a pastor in Philadelphia had taught at Columbia. And one of the interesting dynamics I've I've been around some of the highest universities, and my alma mater, Fayetteville State, is a little bit more of a working class kind of school. And the interesting dynamic between some of the people who perform at the highest is profound humility. Like I was, I didn't go to the best university. But when I was teaching RCIA and teaching at UPenn, these are like the top 1% of people, and they listened to me so attentively and asked questions like I was the, the, the most, like an Ivy League professor, and they were just so open. But it's interesting is, in reverse sometimes, some of the people who are the lowest performing, they don't think to ask questions or they don't think to, it's, it's kind of a paradox of success, that it's a, that openness, that curiosity, that being teachable, and the more teachable you are, the, the more you excel.
2: So it's a continuous pursuit of truth and knowledge.
0: Exactly. exactly. Trying back right. with the t- transcendental... Because yeah,
2: people say to me all the time, well, you had all these mentors, and of course that helped you enormously. I haven't had these mentors. And I said, well, what have you done to find some? Mm-hmm. And it's a foreign concept to them. Right, opening your eyes. So maybe it's something that we need to try to teach.
0: Well, and, and I, did you ever... I mean I, I mean, I might have even done this a little bit, I think with you is with like when, it, when I was talking with ECU Newman I tried to get on your calendar for months or try <laughs> to get lunch but but like but going back to lady wisdom is pursuing that it's um, it doesn't just fall into your lap because this is also probably another dynamic you probably experienced a lot of rejection even with some of those mentors initially right oh, that's yeah. like the classic the classic uh, you go up the mountain to talk with the wise man and you say I'm here to learn from you and he slams the door in your face and says get lost you're, you're, you know, how many people when the, the master slams the door and says, get lost, they say, oh, I guess I failed, so I'm going to go home.
1: Well, and it's a, we kind of talked, touched on this before the interview. It's those individuals that you're interacting with on the way up the mountain to talk, yeah. <laughs> to get wisdom. And I also think that the flip side of what you're saying too, Bob, is that for um, leaders out there that have um, kids, whoever they're coming in contact with um, that are wanting to learn from them, take the time to spend with them and answer the questions that they have. Because um, that could be incredibly beneficial for you as well as an in individual level too. So,
2: And humility is a key factor there. Yes, you touched on you that. When you see top-notch individuals, and you just alluded to this, working in a, an environment that's very uh, humble, the outcomes are just amazing. They're incredible. Because <laughs> everybody's open to truth-seeking, to more knowledge, to more discussion.
1: What does wisdom look like in your field? How would you?
2: To me, it, it looks like the truth, finding the best possible answers. Um, I, I talked to our chief engineer the other day. He's been with me for 20 years. He's in his mid-40s. And I said, well, what are you thinking about today? And he said, I'm, I'm driving to work. The only thing I'm thinking about is how we can get better, pursue more knowledge, more testing, how we can make improvements in our company. And we're obviously operating at a high level and he's at the highest level of engineering. It's on his mind every morning. And that's, he made that it's clear. Like
0: a falling in love. It's like, a, it's a, it's a falling in love with the journey. It's not just a job that you, you know, even and in a certain sense, when you fall in love with something, even when you're not thinking about it, it's like you're unconscious. You're like some part of you is, even when you set it aside to play golf or to take a walk, you know, it, it's still there front and center, not in a kind of preoccupied way, but a kind of affection way. I mean, yeah, think
2: about it, you're, you're getting paid to do what you really love to do. Now, within that, there's a lot of heavy lifting that people should be aware of. These individuals are willing to do the hard work to get to that level and to stay at that level. So it's not all fun. But it's fun in the context of continuous learning, loving what you're doing and having new and wonderful achievements.
0: Well, and it's not, this is part of the, the, the wisdom, seeking pleasure is not the quest to excellence. But the funny thing is we know this with sports. We know this with many things, um, but people don't apply it to their spiritual life and they don't apply it to their careers and their families and their relationships, which is the pursuit of excellence requires a lot of suffering, and, and, and it requires a, a dying to self, overcoming. This is the classical sense of virtue. Um, and how many people are not willing to suffer for the sake of the good, true beautiful? That's the key
1: delineation point. That's it right there. <laughs> Whether or not you're willing to suffer. Yes. To get to your ultimate goal. Um, how, one of the great questions that you have here is how does one learn from experience and how do people fall short? How would you answer that?
2: You have to be your own best self-critic. And if you think about it, we are our own best critics if we live in reality. Because I know exactly what I did or I did not do, more so than you would. You may have make observations. So we have to be honest with ourselves and say, I didn't do well here. That's not gonna happen again. And that has to be every day. And if I'm 75, if you're 85, you still have to do the same thing. It It never changes.
0: And I'm curious, I had this thought when you were mentioning your work environment, it's probably a pretty competitive environment, but not like, so your employees are competing, but they're not competing with each other to try to win your attention and try to make more money. They're trying to pursue truth and excellence and get better at what they do. And like, I think that's, that's a distinction, right? Like they they're seeking a higher good. And and that's what you reward in your business and that's what you reward in your organization. Those people who are seeking that. Mm -hmm.
2: Adam Smith has a comment in um, Theory of Moral Intentions about that very thing is if you take credit for anything anybody else did, you have no integrity. You you have no virtue. So we we make that a cornerstone of how Capitavir operates. You cannot take credit for anything anybody else did. You can't step over somebody to, to get to a higher level. And everybody knows that. As a matter of fact, in my presentation this afternoon, there's a line in on that just to remind you, we're in a very competitive environment, but there's ethics to the way we compete. And when you violate these ethics, everybody loses. So we don't want to be in that position.
1: That's such an excellent point. You set the bar here for your employees on an individual level and also collectively. So it's a winning winning um, formula for everybody.
2: Yeah, one of the things I find that employees will do all the time is they'll say, well I had this big success but I want to make sure that everybody knows that these people helped me Mm. and I couldn't have done it without them. It happens every single day. And it's really a a joyful thing. Mm. And people who are contributing actors really appreciate some recognition when normally they may not get any. And and that inspires them to be uh, even a better person.
1: What habits do you have in place to optimize effectiveness?
2: High levels of discipline, uh, striving toward those goals every day. So we set very high goals. Some of them seem non-achievable, but think about what has to happen. It means you have to improve yourself almost geometrically to reach that goal. So that's the process that allows you to reach very high goals.
0: And that's that's getting moving into Matthew chapter five and chapter six, and what's good and goodness, Christ sets the bar pretty high. He says, "Be perfect as my heavenly Father is perfect." I think that's in Matthew five and six. I have to double check, he says, um, you know, he says some strong words about lust and 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 marriage, and then um, he sets the bar high with the beatitudes. You know, you're to be poor in spirit. Um, you're to see God. You have to be pure of heart. To, to mourn this fallen world. There's all these, but I mean, we don't have to necessarily read the whole thing. That's the Sermon on the Mount. But for goodness, Jesus sets the bar really high. And, um, but like you're saying, in that work environment, when you set the bar really high, this is why I often tell people, like with Lent, you know, coming into Lenten discipline, if you set the bar really high for your Lenten discipline, when you fall, you fall short. But you always fall short of where you set the bar. And if you set the bar real low, you fall short, but you fall short of a much... I mean, the key is often to have realistic goals that inspire you and motivate you, which of course Jesus is the master of doing.
1: You're talking about perfection and how, say it again, Jesus says, be perfect as your heavenly Father oh, is perfect, yeah. right? Yeah. And the world tells you, you can't do that. You just, everybody for themselves, just do your own thing. There's no way you can be perfect.
0: Exactly or they misunderstand perfection or I mean, because there is like, you know, some mental health issues that sometimes Mm -hmm. perfectionism and things like that. But um, which is part of the challenge of seeking excellence, Mm -hmm. because I mean, I'm sure, you you know, like if you just told a young person work, work 60 hours a week and work as hard as possible, that's not necessarily going to make them be excellent into itself. Which is a, a kind of an interesting dynamic. It's like you have to set the bar high, and you have to give the means of of achieving those ends. And I always come back to sports. I was an athlete. You, you, you have very high if you you, you have high goals for your your, your 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 athletes, but you have to give them the means to achieve that as well, right? And our Lord gives us the means. What are the means that you give? Like, how do you set it up, like, your business to help people achieve excellence? Because you have to reward people too, right? You have to let them climb. You have to have, you have to reward excellence and punish. if. You yeah, will.
2: we're very sensitive to that. And it's hard to do it perfectly because you have these large number of people. And you're trying to identify talent, develop talent, moving along. And we don't, nobody, no company gets it perfect. But it's something you need to really pay attention to. So we have uh, continuous um, webinars, seminars. We put out written information. They're, they're being barraged with really good information continuously, and they can call us and, and discuss these items. How would you handle the situation? Uh, so we're, we're engaged in that just about.
0: I like the scenarios thing. I, the, there was um, I was talking with the businessman. He set up in his business. Well, you know uh, Fulton. You remember his his whole thing with. Uh, his continuing formation was he, he did scenarios and he asked, you know, the, what would you do in these scenarios? Yeah. Fulton's is
2: uh, more formalized and we operate in a more informal way, yeah. but we're doing something very similar to what he's doing, but, but it's not formalized. Okay. Yeah. Can you but flesh that out, out a little bit?
0: Cause nobody would the audience might not know what we're talking about.
2: Yeah. Our, our individuals are less adaptive to these formal processes they're very adaptable to, to concepts and ideas and um, improving themselves. So we try to avoid kind of package type programs that um, we just don't do any of that stuff. So ours is kind of an evolving methodology.
0: But it sounds, it's, it's, it's part ideas, part information, but also part scenarios, or well, how would you handle a situation? Because it's part of, um, part of wisdom and ex- learning from experience tying back for, is um, walking through experience after experience. This is, so tying in from St. Ignatius, what was the beauty of the exercise of St. Ignatius of Loyola? So he designs a 30 day retreat and he doesn't sit them down and give them Thomistic lectures or give them a lot of ideas and information. He gives them a series of exercises that they experience the truth and they experience the, 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 the teaching in a new way and in a personal way. I mean, do you, do you have something, I mean, imagine you have something similar with your ongoing formation, and how you, like where it's not, maybe experiential is partly a way to say it. Does that make sense?
2: Yeah, and um, everybody can contribute in this process. So if you have a formalized process, you're going through this process, the way ours works is anybody can make contributions. Um, a comment came up this past weekend about, well, we're busier now with all these conveniences and email our, our time is extremely busy. But the other side of this, I said, we have to think we're much more productive. Mm-hmm. And we're in high levels of communication with large numbers of people that we weren't before, we couldn't be. Mm-hmm. Uh, so even though we're extremely busy, we're, we're much more united, we're sharing information continuously, we're learning continuously, and we're achieving much higher levels more quickly than anybody could in the
0: past. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. it sounds like it might be a little fun too. like. The people are excited to go to work. Well,
2: the people, back to your point, the people who love what they're doing, it's all fun. This is what we yeah. love doing. We love every minute of it. Now, there are stresses and there is hard work. It doesn't really matter to us. It doesn't even compute in our brain. This is just what we do.
1: Yeah. You were talking about, and I wanna go back to this because I'm very curious. Um, you have more informal ways of helping the individual employee um, become a better, I, I don't like to use this phrase, better version of themselves, but. Just to grow, not to, not <laughs> I know, a, right? Um, so, and based on what you're saying, Bob, I'd imagine that what it looks like is that if you have an issue that presents itself and um, you haven't experienced it before, um, you build on that experience and you know what to do in the future to make it better for another employee that's experiencing this, a similar circumstance. Is that, that Yeah, we adequate? even
2: have a, um, a wiki within our company. <laughs> So we dump all those experiences in there. And usually we say is, well, check wiki. And if that doesn't help you, then then call us. Yeah. But, but <laughs> there's great. just a massive amount of information.
0: What's that? What's that? What, can you flush that out a little bit? You have like your own internal... Internal like, wiki. wiki.
1: It's like, a, I would imagine it's like a question place where you, you would yeah, type you, in you your question. You can
2: just put anything and it'll go find the answer. <laughs> so,
0: that's, uh, that looks, so that's pretty cool. So internally to your company, you have... I mean, this is, I mean, I wish oh, I, mean, I shouldn't say this out loud. I mean I wish the church would adopt some of this thinking. I mean, so you, you, so there might be so there'd be articles on dealing with a range of topics or
2: everything. It could be a, a long white paper. It could be a comment, um, but it'll give you this whole range of knowledge that we have within our company. And everybody can contribute to that knowledge just like you would with the the real wiki. It's a powerful tool. Mm-hmm. And in the same way, you just throw a question in there and it'll find what kind of information we have available on it. Because when you're dealing with thousands of people, there's a lot of questions and there's a lot of new things coming up and you have to have the fastest methodology possible. Because if I wanted a a question answered and you had already written it down, it's a lot easier for me to just look it up, read what you had to say and maybe I'm done. If that didn't answer it, then I'd contact you. You might not be available. in that time frame.
1: I guess the question is, did you check Wiki? And with an old boss of mine, mm-hmm. he would say, did you exhaust all possibilities, Ellen? <laughs> yeah. Well,
2: one of our guys who's kind of lead, he is the lead in application, he will, he will always say that, did you? Did you exhaust
0: he, and all he, possibilities? He will,
2: he will know whether that information is in there. So if you said, well, I, I think I did. He said, well, I don't think you did. I then don't you check you. it again.
0: Go back. But I mean, th- this is, a, I mean, a fa- I mean, that's like a fascinating, like a depository of wisdom. Right. And there's probably a lot of things in there that are somewhat anecdotal or things of that nature. Tons of anecdotal. Yeah. That's fantastic. But then and that gets a you know, learning wisdom and learning from experience right. is is a kind of depository. And then that, and on a higher level, because it's the Holy Spirit, that's what the Bible is as well. You know, why did it take why did it take God thousands of years to explain himself to make humans ready to receive Jesus Christ, right? And he, I mean, why couldn't he just explain it all like in one book succinctly at one time, but the, because God knows our hearts and he knows humanity. Mm-hmm. And there's probably something with your business that it has a life of its own and a shared depository of wisdom. And, and there's
2: a massive amount of nuance in, in, in there. Mm-hmm. Um, and all of us learn more slowly than what we admit. People tend to think, well, I'm smart, and I read it, and I understand it. It doesn't really work that way. And back to your point. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's, that's,
1: that's funny. Uh, let's talk about goals within the company. How, how do you strive after goals? How, do, how are goals set, and how do you strive after them? This is, again, related, I guess, to um, the good. How do you set them?
2: Well, from the beginning, what I did was uh, I, w- I would say we're going to double sales, or um, in some cases, triple sales in this time frame. So then we start from that coming backward. What are the things we need to do? Do we need new products? Do we need more salespeople? So we start listing, what what are those problems? And then we start developing a strategy. And we've continued that for probably the last 35 years. So now we have this massive goal and everybody's thinking, well, how are we gonna achieve that goal? So think about the, the man on the moon. We didn't have the technology that we have now. Kennedy set the bar in whatever year it was, 62. Um, and seven years later, we were on the moon because everybody was working toward that goal. Uh, it's, it's probably one of the best leadership management stories in the history of the world. And once it happened, most of them left and they did something else. And NASA's has never been quite as good since then. Uh, because they had this goal that they were going to reach, so setting high goals and being very determined to get there in a in a fair and honest way is, I think, is the way to do it.
0: Yeah, and Elon Musk right now is trying to go to Mars, right? So we'll see if he would that. But, <laughs> but yeah, well, and that's what our Lord does in Matthew chapter five, and chapter six, right? I mean, that's the scripture. Our Lord sets the bar really high, and then he gives anecdotally. and and, and through a variety of means, the means of achieving those ends, um, which is is a little complicated because it's not just us, it's God's grace, it's the grace of the sacraments, it's the Holy Spirit. Um, But he sets the bar really high and then provides the means.
2: Well, think about the bar of, I want to get to heaven. You can't get there by just saying, uh, oh, I'm a nice person. (laughs) That's a very high bar. We don't know how high it is, but we do know it's high.
1: One of the questions that I was introduced to in Latin, and I've forgotten the Latin, so maybe you can help me with this, is what is this in light of eternity? Um, And it was planted in my heart many years ago, and it's always surfaced no, no, at the no, no, right, right moment. No, no. You where's haven't. That,
0: where's that quote from? I, know. I
1: don't know, and yes. I have, I'll have to go back and find the Latin of it, but what is this in light of eternity? And um, it's helped me to stay focused on the things that are important in many different situations.
0: Well, so. And the kind of way you described, and what you're describing is reverse engineering, right? You start with the end in mind, mm-hmm. teleology, this is the classic. Mm-hmm. You start with what's the end for which we are created, which by the way is how the Baltimore Catechism starts, right? You start children A very young age, thinking about well, what are you made for? You're you're made for eternity, like, Mm -hmm. and when you think of the eternal consequences, it changes. You know, one of the I wasn't planning on talking on this, but when you think about the end consequences, one of the things that's become painfully obvious this year Mm -hmm. is that people do not think about death as much, or the eternal consequences for their actions, that they're living, I mean, in a bad way, only for the present and for the immediate and for the sense the sensible, sensible world so the death is kind of on the horizon as this dreadful thing to be pushed off as far as possible and but cuz it's been one of the things i found striking with college students and they've kind of made it a little bit they joke around with me now about it is talking with them about death and dying and and talking with high schoolers about death and dying um, it can be very powerful just so not even like in a weird way not in a like you know you're going to die one day. No, just in a kind of how do you how do you want how do you want to go? Like how do you want to be remembered or what do you what, what do you think will be truly important 5 seconds after you're dead. You know, things like that.
2: That's a basic leadership maximum is begin with the end in mind. Yes. So Lord Wellington said, I'm going to defeat Napoleon and and he did. But it took him a lot of planning and a lot of action to make that
0: happen. Yeah. And that's that's the challenges is, is yes, yeah, starting with the end in mind.
1: So you do that regularly with Captive Air?
2: We do it continuously, okay. nonstop.
1: Nonstop, okay. And And the
2: people engaged in it, um, really, uh, they love it. <laughs> they love every minute of it.
1: What does this mean? Now it doesn't
2: mean again? we're not under a lot of stress and you know the, <laughs> right. all the normal things, but um, we don't think about them that much because we're very much focused on what we're trying to accomplish.
1: Mm-hmm. I read your book, and I know that um, we did not discuss this before the interview, but um, there are so many wonderful tidbits of information in here about you and about um, Captive Air um, and and your rise. And I highly recommend it. It's been incredibly helpful to me personally and to my husband, too. So Entrepreneurial Life, um, the path from startup to market leader, and um, I highly recommend it anyway. So just a little segue there for um, really um, adapting some of the, the things that you've implemented so well in, in your company. Um, before we move on to Revelation, are there any other comments that you questions that No, you I've, got, I've got an idea for the next part, <laughs> so I'll save it till then. Okay, so for um, truth, you chose Revelation. Do you want me to um, read? Yeah, Versus read a, a little bit. So we're, we're talking about okay.
0: heaven. What drew me to think about this passage was, I, 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 at one point I was like, well, how can we imagine heaven? And I thought, you know, no eye has seen, ear, or has heard. I was like, but wait a minute. God gives us a vision of heaven in the book of Revelation and in other parts of the Bible. He gives this, I mean, it's kind of a, a fantastic vision. I was like, what if you used your imagination to dwell on this? Like, how it would affect you in a positive way? And, and so that's kind of been my hope with some of this, is like the meditation, the discussion on this vision of heaven, it sets you free in a certain sense from the present moment.
1: The new heaven and the new earth. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. The former heaven and the former earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. Is it 1920?
0: Um, There's another part where it's more the golden city with like the walls yes, of the jasper. Yes, the wall
1: was constructed of jasper. Yeah. While the city was pure, gold clear as glass. The foundation of the city wall were deco- The foundations of the city wall were decorated with every precious stone. The first course of stones was jasper, the second sapphire, Uh, I'm not going to pronounce that one, the fourth emerald, the fifth sardonyx, sardonyx, and on and on and on. And, you know, a friend of mine was just saying recently, um, take your best day, and that's not even close Mm -hmm. to what Mm -hmm. heaven is like, (laughs) just the other day. So, I mean, when you're thinking about all these beautiful stones that are...
0: Yeah, absolutely. Well, and... And this is what, when we, 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 disobey our conscience. I, I was thinking about this recently is what do you make your decisions based on? Right. And if you're worried about perceptions or how people perceive you or all those different dynamics, what a miserable way to live life. But where if you realize five seconds after you're dead, what people think of you won't matter, but like, what's the truth of what you've done? Like, what is the, the principle by which you've lived by? And that'll be made manifest, mm-hmm. kind of.
1: What do you think about that in relation to business and, and how you've lived it, your life? It's very now?
0: easy to get
2: caught up in the ephemeral. And we've seen that over the past year where people were worried to death about um, the virus, but there, there's also, most things are more deadly than the, the uh, COVID virus. Yeah. And if you look statistically, if you went back to uh, '01, people were worried about uh, terrorists and. Personally, nobody in the country got killed by terrorists except the initial action. Yeah. So we tend to be irrational. And, and you have to really come back and, and start thinking rationally, logically. Re- look at data. If you just look at the data, you'd say, well, this doesn't make any sense at all. Not even a little bit of sense. It doesn't make any sense to lock hundreds of million people in their home because something bad may happen. It's completely irrational. And it's going to have long term, very negative effects on our country.
1: Well, and I I want to touch on that, too. I think it's really important, um, especially since I represent Catholic Radio. Um, Going to truth. I think uh, we spend so much time in secular media and letting that feed our brain over and over and over again. My dad used to always say, you are what you read. Mm. So um, it certainly applies here and um, we cannot use that to feed us, because you're not getting truth. Yeah. Would
2: you agree? And mo- I would say most of the people on these TV and radio programs don't even know what they're talking about. They're just mouthing something they heard or yeah. something they feel like is gonna go over well. I,
0: th- I think it, it, a few people, a few times this has been said, hopefully, I don't know if this is dropping names or whatever, um, the, I was talking with Jake Forrest about his dad's campaign and some of the, the decisions they made. And he said something that was really struck me he said we didn't make decisions based on what we thought would be popular we did what we thought was right and that that stood with me like you know and it was a private conversation and but that that making a decision based on what is true good and beautiful what is right even if it costs you an election because in some ways it kind of probably did cost them an election But they stood by their principles of what they thought was right.
1: We just had this discussion, and I know you didn't hear it because you weren't here, but Bob and I were discussing this in the kitchen before the interview started. Um, We were talking about truth, and um, why don't you touch on it? Because I think that what you said was very powerful.
2: Yeah, in the the secular world, uh, they'll say to you, do your own thing, it's all fine. But look at the other side of that equation, the cancel culture. They'll take your money away, they'll put you in jail, they'll, they'll kill you on the street if you do something they don't like. Because sin is offensive, it does cause harm. So they're, they're almost encouraging you, go ahead and sin, it's fine, there's not any problem here, but just do it and see what happens. It, it reverses. Well, one priest told me this, that a sin is obviously very alluring, that's why you commit the sin, but instantaneously it turns into something really bad. And you see that and you can witness that in the secular world mm-hmm. continuously. Yeah. So if you, if you come backward and if you're a decent person and you follow God's will, people will respect and like you. They may mock you and they may make comments about you, but they'll do business with you. Uh, they would trust you with their lives because yeah. they know there's a goodness. there. even the most evil person recognizes that. Uh, look what happened at Calvary. Yeah. Um,
1: when mm. we were talking about um, Pontius Pilate, too, when he was having that discussion with Christ. What is truth? Um, and Monsignor Ingham was talking about it in his homily a couple of weeks ago, and he said he didn't even recognize truth was staring him right in the face. And yeah. just all of a sudden, I am the way, the truth, and the light. It was fantastic, a revelation for me. So, yeah, Dr.
2: McClay, who's a known historian, recently made this comment. He said, "If there is no truth, we have no basis of having any discussions about anything. Absolutely, because you you're, you can't ground anywhere. Absolutely. It's just a complete waste of time."
0: Well, and going back to you're mentioning the sin, um, truth. Going back to what I discussed in the beginning is if we live according to the senses and to our, according to our emotions. Now, our emotions are good; that we we're given to them for a reason. They help us in making decisions. But if we're if we're going by what our feelings are saying in some regard, truth kind of transcends us and it transcends the moment. That's kind of the beauty of the transcendentals. It's like you peer into and thinking about heaven. You, That's
2: exactly what happens. Yeah. Yes.
0: You, you say, okay, you think you're afraid. You're like, if I do this, there'll be these negative consequences. What will people think of me? You know, all these things. And you have those emotions, those strong, those, those that tug of war, but then it's like an illumination from above. But what do I feel called to do? Or what, what is true? Irregardless of the, the, the consequences, what is true, good, and beautiful? What am I called to do?
1: And you were saying that before we got started about truth. You, you, you cannot worry about what other people are thinking. When it comes down to making a choice, if you are unpopular with the decision that you're making, it doesn't matter, you've got to stand up for what you know is As A comment in,
2: uh, in our company, I was at a meeting and this person said, I hope you'll be fair with me on this issue, and the leader uh, immediately responded and said, we will always be fair on every issue. This will never be an issue here. Uh, and, uh, building culture, and a very profound and very quick statement. Mm-hmm. This yes. will never be in question here. <laughs> So he went, he immediately went to the higher value and said, this could never be in question. Yeah.
0: And I was talking, so I was talking with a theologian, Monsignor McGee, and we were talking about truth. And the the problem is, with the modern understanding, is truth is within the thinker, is within me, um, and how I perceive reality. But the Christian view is that truth is out there, it's ultimately in God, and I'm being drawn out of myself. And I think even within your business, the, the truth of things is not what's Mr. Luddy's opinion. The truth of things is the truth of things, it's greater even than you probably in a certain sense. The truth that you, you're all seeking together, and the, 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 it's not just, it can't be reduced just to the will of Mr. Luddy. It's something, does that make sense? Like the, the, yeah, the, we
2: stress that at all meetings all the time with everybody we're looking for the best answer, we're looking for the truth, and we don't care who comes up with it. So there's no, there's no power engaged in this whole process. Yeah. So if you just walked in the door and you're not even an engineer and you saw some flaw in what we're doing, we wanna know about it. We're
0: all in on it. <laughs> Cause you're saving us. But believe it or not, there's some organizations, and I gotta, yeah. There's some organizations where truth is only what's the will of the leader. And that everybody's trying to find out what the leader wants.
2: That's guaranteed failure. Yeah.
1: In your humility, you recognize that the buck doesn't stop with you. It goes beyond you. And I think that that's what you're leading to here. Well,
2: organizations um, go well beyond the leader. Mm-hmm. The leader may start, I'm the founder, mm-hmm. but the pool of knowledge is well beyond my personal capabilities, I mean, to the 10th power.
1: Mm-hmm. How do you think the culture measures success and how does that relate to how you measure success?
2: I think they measure success, you know, and I ask a lot of young people this, you know, if they have a job and they're making money and they can do what they want, they measure that as success. And so that's an ephemeral success. It's okay, real near term. So then I'll say, well, what are your aspirations? Uh, for the? And most of them haven't thought about it. So the, the people who really become very successful and very excellent are the ones, as we discussed, they're setting very high bars, very high goals. Mm -hmm. And you think about midlife crises, why do they occur? Because they, maybe they had something in the back of their mind, they never worked toward it. And then they get in there, all of a sudden they're in their forties and said, Hey, now maybe I can't even do it because I've squandered 20 years of my life. But people who are, uh, set high goals and they continuously achieve they don't have a midlife crisis um, They just kind of glide through life and they just keep setting the bar higher
0: Absolutely Yeah, that makes sense
2: and the people who really you know some people look at a job as you know Five come five o'clock gets done. I go home and then I have fun We look at it in reverse. We don't even want to go home uh, I used to use the combo, why would you want to go home at five o'clock? I mean, we're, we're just engaged in this you know, great activity. You see engineers, like our engineers are testing for two weeks. It, it's not fun, but the outcome is going to be fun. What they achieve is going to be a lot of fun. And then they're willing to make that sacrifice.
1: I'm married to an engineer, so I'm very familiar with that. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so let me ask you, um, Bob, what kind of a legacy is important for you to leave behind?
2: Maybe two things, and like, you go to the parable of the talents. Okay. I've always felt that it was a prime responsibility to develop our talent to our highest capability, and that models what God wants us to do. And then, secondly, to use those talents to help as many people as you can. Mm-hmm. Father Robert Sirica who you uh, or uh, Father Robert Spitzer, yeah. who you know well. Uh, talks about the four levels and level three is when you serve other people you gain satisfaction and you're happy and it rationalizes your life as you move toward the transcendent Mm -hmm. and the more you think about it even if you do the smallest thing you hold a door you give somebody a glass of water you feel like it feels good Mm
0: -hmm. it it almost
2: feels better than getting yourself a glass of water Mm -hmm. because you did something beyond yourself and you know it's a good that's something I think we need to talk a lot about because it's not really ingrained into the secular mentality. Uh, secular mentality, I'm not gonna do anything for you unless you can do something for me. It's completely wrongheaded and um, Father Spitzer has a down pat.
1: I know as a mom, I am um, thinking about what you're saying. I feel so much better when I'm not counting the costs and comparing points. Well, oh, he's not, why am I, I'm not, you know. So, for sure. And when I'm just doing it and, and getting up and serving. Remember, I
2: forget the <laughs> saint. Different. One of the saints said "You know, to, to God, well, why, why did I get chosen to
1: have to do this?
0: Because <laughs> you were chosen. That's
2: why. <laughs> <laughs>
1: that's right. That's right. What do you think?
0: Yeah, you know, it's interesting. I, I, I had a clear answer when I first was discussing this weeks ago. And, um, I mean, I think I want to be known as a man of prayer, uh, a holy man, a saintly man. Um. One who has pursued goodness, truth, and beauty, yeah. and I think that would. I love the I love the notion of uh, the fool of Christ, the one who who forsakes all else for the sake of Christ. And I think that's like, and yeah, they, they talk about that with Saint Francis, and and that's becoming more clear. As it's funny, you talk about like midlife. I'm approaching forty. I'm going to turn forty in October. Oh, you're so a it's baby. A <laughs> 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 but just thinking about that, it's a good time to like kind of think back, like think back what I've pursued so far. And yeah, so that's, that's kind of, um, yeah.
1: I know, fool of Christ. See, the, all these seeds are planted and that's going to send me down another road. So thank you for that. Um, as we are wrapping up this discussion, do you have any final thoughts that you would like to add about truth, beauty, and goodness, Bob?
2: I think the most important thing is, which we alluded to earlier, is to read and discuss these topics and have them more on your mind and and it's hard to do because we we live in the temporal world and we're we're being drawn toward it but if we don't have these thoughts on our mind continuously we're going to fail we're going to fail miserably uh so this continuous development uh that's why we go to church every sunday uh that's why we say our prayers and god does help us in in so many ways if if we're in touch with him if we're ignoring him maybe he would help us anyhow but it's much better if we're in touch with Him just as we would with humans. Well,
1: right. I
2: Sometimes just... I look at God as like humans. It the, the relationship has similarities.
1: You have to spend time to develop a relationship. Yes. Yeah. And and taking time away, it's something that you do on a regular basis, and I think it's really important to um, reemphasize that the importance of being alone with yourself and with God. People are afraid of that today because we're so there's so much noise, and I think. Um, we need to, to do that. So thank you for, um, for reminding us of the importance of that. How about you, Father? Any final yeah, thoughts? I, I, I think
0: on a very simple level, and it's kind of reiterating what you said, it's just giving yourself time to think. Give yourself, like, be intentional. I mean, the higher form of thinking is meditating and praying. But just I'll, I'll, people have a profound... I've been struck by one of the most important things that I do for high schoolers and college students is get them to slow down and then think about what they're doing and why they're doing it. And, um, and to learn to be more intentional. But that's the, the, the heart of the contemplative life is asking the deep questions, seeking Lady Wisdom. What are my ideals? What, what am I seeking after? What do I really want? Like those are the questions that can only be answered in solitude and before God's Word and meditation.
1: The importance of that. So resources, would you have any resources for our listeners that you would recommend? And then I'll come to you, Bob. Yeah.
0: Um, I would start, okay, so there's Pieper's books on Thomistic thought, and the, I mean, you can find the Summa on New Advent website. You can, you can Google it, New Advent um, Summa Theologica, okay. or Theologia. I forget which yeah. one. Um, Pieper, Etienne Gilson, which is um, it's spelled G-I-L-S-O-N. Um, also, Pink Harris has a good book on virtue ethics, on, on um, moral theology. It might be a little more academic. And then, um, you know, studying the saints, the the, the Desert Fathers, the St. John of the Cross, St. Teresa of Avila, um, Ralph Martin has a few books. Mm. I could probably rattle off.
1: <laughs> yeah. and, we'll stop and, you there. Yeah. Well, and also um, understanding yourself, really spending time alone and, and getting to know who you are, I think will get little inclinations from the Holy Spirit when. Yeah. Um, and not pointing the finger at others like mm-hmm. we were talking about before. So how about you, Bob? Do you have any resources um, that you would recommend? All books of
2: Father Robert Spitzer, mm. uh, books on personalism to try mm. to really understand mm. our fellow humans mm. rather than just typing them all out. Mm. And learning from the saints, because you, you can read about almost mm. any saint and say, how do I measure up? Uh, not, that, not
1: that good. <laughs> yeah, right. Any book. Is and, there and a, it's very clear. <laughs> do you have a saint in particular that you like to read, that you like to follow?
2: I, I like the whole range of them because okay. I get these books and they have them all in there and the stories have a similarity to them. they're all different, but they're all similar.
1: Right. right. Okay. So where can we go to reach you, Father Ian? If listeners would like to reach out oh, or so, learn I more mean, about you. I'm on you?
0: Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. Um, I don't recommend TikTok, but we are on TikTok. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and, uh, Ian and The, and the, in, the Ian Art Van-Husen. of
1: Living... Yeah. Well, which is a great resource. How about you, Bob?
2: Is Bob at CaptiveAir.com.
1: Thank you so much, gentlemen, both of you. This has been a very rich discussion. I think we all have um, lots of work that we can be doing and contemplating ourselves and how we can um, make this a better world for ourselves and um, looking into the future, um, looking through the lens of God's truth, beauty, and goodness. Um, I was going to say something it <laughs> just totally slipped my mind. Um, Okay, I think that's it. Thanks so much for tuning in to this edition of Faith Works on Catholic 540 AM Divine Mercy Radio. Our special thanks to Father Ian Van Heusen and Bob Luddy for visiting with us today. If you missed any part of our program, you can play our past shows by going to Catholic540am.org and click on local programs. You can also listen to our radio show and podcast, this is a new thing, on our Divine Mercy Radio smartphone app, Available via the Apple App Store or Google Play. Simply search Divine Mercy Radio NC and download it for free. The Executive Director of Catholic 540 AM is Cecilia Flannery. Our Director of Programming is Peter K. O'Connell. Our Engineer is Keith Flannery. With Father Ian and Bob Letty, I'm Ellen White. Thank you so much for listening, and be sure to open your eyes to God's truth, beauty, and goodness. God bless. Thank you. Thank you.